This podcast is intended as entertainment for grown-ups and to spread awareness of 826LA, a nonprofit writing and tutoring center for children ages 6 to 18. For a full schedule of 826LA's events and programs, including the Echo Park Time Travel Mart, visit 826LA.org. And now, here's the host of the Dead Authors Podcast, Mr. H.G. Wells. Hello, loyal listeners, and welcome once again to the Dead Authors Podcast. You've just downloaded Chapter 16 with our very special guest, Mr. Gore Vidal. We'll have a delightful exchange with Mr. Vidal in just a tick. Well, perhaps the word delightful is a bit misleading. Uh, Let's just say... uh, Well, let's just say... Well, let's just say... uh, Well, now we've come to it, the less said the better. Mind you, a spot of lively discourse doesn't bother me in the slightest. I'm grateful for whatever company I can find. It's no secret that writing is a lonely business. Well, so too is time travel. I've got just the one captain's chair and the time machine, and I must always keep the rumble seat available for the author or authors I'm transporting back with me. And while meeting new people from distant places in space and time is always fascinating, it does get a bit tiresome, having to explain who I am and when I'm from and why does this rag smell so peculiar over and over again. One starts to crave interaction with others who have shared experiences in a place where, if you will, everybody knows your name. Unfortunately, the selling of alcohol is strictly prohibited in the time stream due to a certain traveller, and I won't name names, imbibing irresponsibly, then wedging his police call box sideways into a bally wormhole, disrupting the rest of us and creating a veritable avalanche of paradoxes. If you only knew how many times I've had to murder my own grandfather just to start things over with a clean slate, it'd be enough to give you a case of the collywobbles. So yes, no pubs in the time stream. But there are rest areas. I believe those of you in the colonies have them littered about your interstate highway system. Well, the ones in the time stream are quite similar. They're an ideal place to get out, stretch your legs, procure a cup of tea or a bit of jerky, Or perhaps you're in the market for a souvenir, a novelty license plate or oven mitt. Maybe you just want to browse the compact disc bin. Hello, what's this? A cut-out copy of No Jacket Required for only $3.99? Don't mind if I do! But though these places offer a stunning array of can koozies and magnets bearing bawdy slogans, they do not, alas, offer much in the way of scintillating conversation, which is why I was ever so glad when Mr. Vidal recently, uh, shall we say, became eligible for our little reading series. Did my gladness persist? Listen for yourself. It's chapter 16 of the Dead Authors Podcast with Gore Vidal. Thank you so much. Please do. Yes, please do. By all means, take your time traversing the stage. It seems quite a small stage from the audience's point of view until you see somebody really make a meal of walking across it. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Vidal. I I wonder if... uh, Here we go. Was there a question? Uh, Not quite yet. Um... Uh, more, I do have a reminder though, we are recording this, audio only, so do keep that in mind as you, uh, as you plot out your, your ponderous, uh, <laughs> ponderous uh, pickings up of the microphone. Mm. <laughs> right. Mr. Vidal, I wonder if you might favor us with, uh, with a reading from one of your works. Yes, I would be happy to do so. As you know, have been accused of being prolific, uh, essayist, uh, novelist, playwright. No big deal. <laughs> and as such, I suppose it is a bit of a blessing or a curse to, on occasion, come across works you have no memory of having written. And uh, <laughs> this is one from a recent, relatively recent work, a 2002. It's uh, from Dreaming War, Blood for Oil, and the Cheney Bush Hunter. And... um, Sounds like fun. Should be. It's about, uh, it's about rights. All rights reserved. 
no part of this publication may be reproduced or <laughs> transmitted in any form or by many means, electronic or mechanical, including photocopy recording or any information storage or retrieval system now known or to be invented without permission in writing from the publisher, except by a reviewer who wishes to quote brief passages in connection with a review written for inclusion in a magazine, newspaper, or broadcast. I think what I like about this passage <laughs> is its near complete lack of affectation. It's uh, uh, nearly legal. Yes, it is. It is remarkably uh, unembroidered. Um, Indeed. While I quite liked the reveal of the person who wanted to publish a short excerpt and was granted the permission to do so, Normally we do have uh, uh, the authors on our stage read something that they in fact have written, not just something that appears on some page of something that... This appeared on a very early page of a book. No, certainly, but perhaps even the earliest page one might say, but... The cover? Well, do, do, we, count the do we count the cover as a page? It's well, an interesting author's question, talking shop, how do you like that, ladies and gentlemen? Do we count the cover as a page? That is Who amongst us is fit to answer that question? I would argue not I. And I'll give it a go then. If not um, I, I think that certainly uh, none of you. No, sorry, still had some stuff left to say. Don't you feel that the, the cover, by uh, by virtue of its uh, thickness? Mm. And uh, it's slightly different material compared to the rest of the pages. Even even, even in a, a soft cover, in a paperback, it's right. still markedly different from the <coughs> the paper that that, perf that that forms the meat of the book. The meat of the book. Mm. I suppose one could argue that the cover of a book is uh, perhaps the laziest page. Uh, you you seem to be the one who is arguing that. <laughs> it's it's not a line of reasoning. I've worked out in depth, but clearly it is a page, it is more a page unto that book than it is a page or a cover to a different book. <laughs> sort of got lost in that one, but um, I think I take your meaning. Mm. Uh, uh, Mr. Vidal, may I yes. ask you, uh, you seem to have brought your, uh, your brawler, you, you've got a bumper shoot out here on the stage, are you, are you concerned uh, about the, uh, the rain? No, it's, um, it's for affectation. Oh. <laughs> I do apologize. I'm not, Fred, this late in life, I'm not walking as well as I might. Oh, I'm sorry. And so rather than use a, a, a cane, you prefer to perhaps lean on your old friend? The this uh, serves two purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting you bring it up, though, because I, I do think that, you know, inasmuch as 9-11 uh, was a coup d'etat, uh, I think umbrellas unto themselves can be argued by some. And uh, admittedly, we have a distinct lack of intellectual tradition in this country that you know, we are, no, no one is dumber than we are about most things. And so I think that one could argue that in the course of a rainy day, would it not be good to have an umbrella with you? I would argue it would, but here again, who am I? Mm. Yes. <laughs> a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of phantoms uh, arguing things in your in your scenarios here. Um, uh, it, it, okay, so phantoms are but enemies who have yet to reveal themselves, or perhaps who have never existed. So. <laughs> so they're either these, these people you speak of, they're either not going to show up at all, or they're just not uh, real people. Well, so say you. Uh, for me, I have faced in my life uh, a number of very real phantoms, uh, adversaries, uh, that whether they materialize or not are things that you find yourself battling and uh, coming to terms with. And whether you are successful in your coming to terms or not successful, these are people, I think, one could argue, who are spectacular in their ignorance and laziness. And, uh, they simply have no concern for those that they claim to rule over. Oh, so when you, uh, you make eye contact with me, you're done. 
Not necessarily, no. Uh, what, uh, what, are, what are some of these, uh, these phantoms that you have faced? Well, I think that we are faced... Are these your personal demons? Well, my personal demons would send you running for the stairs, no. Are your personal demons around here this evening? I beg your pardon? Uh, do, you, do you have some of your personal demons on retainer this evening? Sure, they're sadly never far away. No, I think that the demons I'm referring to are very real demons. These are, you know, I have been... Oh, I'm sorry. Real demons. Very real demons. From, from, from hell? Hell is what you make it. I... You're a slippery one. You're I'm, a slippery one, Vidal. I believe we may be experiencing a little bit of it here right now. You know, I think that... What, one could make a case. One continues to do. I think that, you know, I myself am an atheist. I believe it's all to be agnostic, but I'm against it. So I think, <laughs> I think that hell in a literal sense is not uh, something that exists. And were it to, I believe you would have to arrive at the conclusion inevitably that, uh, that your God is a thug. And I think that, you know, as such a thug, he, is that truly someone with whom you would want to traffic on a daily basis? And I would say no. I would say, I would, I would say that uh, your God is a blackmailer, and if truly his son is Jesus Christ, then why would anyone prior to his life have been good about anything to anyone? And I think it's better to be a good human being than a good Christian. Was that the question? <laughs> I honestly can't remember. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you say that you believe that uh, we are all agnostic. I do. You believe that the, the average person, even though they, they may profess a belief in God, is, is still not quite sure? I, I do believe that to be the case. I, I think that uh, we perhaps hold our strongest beliefs in things we know nothing about. I think we are classically uneducated in this country, and we are sheep who go along with nearly anything that's been told to us by the rich proletariat. And I have spent the better part of my life living amongst the ruling class, and I can share with you if you do not already know that they have nothing but contempt for the people whose, whose lives their title suggests they rule over. Was that the question? Um, let's say that it was. Uh, what are some of the, uh, again, um, you've had a very interesting life. And, I and, have. Uh, uh, certainly you've been haunted by demons. Uh, you, you've had legendary fights uh, with uh, people like uh, William F. Buckley Jr. and uh, Norman Mailer. So uh, what, what drove you to, uh, to, to be so confrontational with these people? Why so many battles with, with your fellow writers? Well, I think these are ostensibly gentlemen who claim to have people's concerns at heart, and yet you come to find out that they are uh, closeted conservatives who wish nothing but money and power upon themselves and uh, submission and obedience from the others. And I decide to call them on it and call them onto the carpet. And whether they choose to come or not, uh, one needs something to fill the Dick Cavett show. That's true. That's very true. Mm -hmm. That's very true. It was, it, was a, mm -hmm. it was a long show and just sitting there on a very bare-bones set and... You know, they didn't have uh, any of these uh, games that Jimmy Fallon plays. It was just Dick Cavett sitting there talking to people. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine anything quite so dull? I, I never thought I would find myself in a position to miss Norman Mailer and William F. Buckley. But yes, yeah. they, they both uh, predeceased you. Yes, here we are. Yes, well, um, uh, you, you famously called uh, uh, William F. Buckley Jr. a, uh, a crypto-fascist. Crypto-Nazi, I believe. Crypto-Nazi, I do yeah. beg your pardon. Yes. <laughs> Don't mean to split hairs. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a... Uh, a Don't make me read this legal document again. No, 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 please. <laughs> I think we're all savoring it from the first time. I, Discovering new things. For the record, I will read it again, if you'd like. <laughs> Let's put it to a vote. <laughs> Round of applause. How many people would like to hear Mr. Vidal uh, read the copyright claim once more? It was the thing I read about, about rights. Round, round of applause. How many people feel that they're uh, all set? <laughs> so, um, so... <laughs> Crypto-Nazi... It was, it was seems, seems once was enough. Yes. <laughs> Lasting. I think it's still resonating with yes. people. 
So crypto Nazi is a is a is a term that you made up. Yes, this is an insult that you uh, that you invented. I was afraid you'd ask. Yes, uh, this is something. <laughs> to apologize for being one of those legendary phantoms that you're so afraid of. You don't frighten me. Crypto, I think, meaning uh, secret, you know, and uh, Nazi meaning um, uh, fascist. <laughs> uh, have there been other uh, insults that you've coined to describe some of your least favorite people? Sure. Uh, that make yourselves comfortable because that is a sadly a very long list. Is that so? Yes. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, I remember saying to uh, Walter Cronkite at one point, I said, uh, I said, uh, Walter, uh, you claim to broadcast the news. Uh, funny, I've heard it all before. <laughs> Very he, was, he was devastated. Well, devastated. How, how, how Re did Mr. Retired. Cronkite... He re retired the next day. Is that so? Uh, now, are you saying that you saying that to Walter Cronkite forced him into retirement? He was so out of, out of sheer embarrassment. I don't know that there are dots which require less connecting. <laughs> uh, Norman Mailer, you, you actually came to blows with him at one point. Not on television. No, uh, shortly after. The <laughs> well, more's the pity. If only, <laughs> if only uh, the, the Mr. Mailer had lived long enough, you both could have been on Celebrity Boxing. The tattoos of goldenpalace.com scrolled across your torsos. It's a short-lived television program. Uh, Danny Bonaduce was one of the <laughs> combatants, as was the late Ron Palillo, whom you might know as Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter. I just met him, yes. <laughs> just in the nick of time. <laughs> Have to have to see if uh, Mr. Mr. Palillo is a published author. Perhaps we can get him out here on our program. The chance is slim, I'm afraid. Yes, Norman Mailer and I came to blows uh, at a cocktail party in New York City uh, shortly after a Dick Cavett appearance when uh, he was unhappy with me for comparing him to uh, Manson. <laughs> and the only reason I did Char so Charles Manson, to be specific. <coughs> Not, not Shirley Manson, the lead singer of Garbage. <laughs> that would have been anachronistic. It, it would. Yes, we came to blows. I, I compared him to uh, Charles Manson. Uh, Favorably, or are there two ways? I did not know. He took it as unfavorable. I, uh, I made. I made the link simply because he had uh, famously stabbed his wife, and uh, he did not take it uh, the way it was intended, or perhaps he took it exactly as how it was, <laughs> and uh, confronted me on the Dick Cavett show looking for an apology, and I uh, offered to apologize were it to be for his hurt feelings. It was not. Uh, he accused me of uh, intellectual pollution, which uh, is, of course, ridiculous. And uh, later at a party, he, uh, it was not so much an altercation as he pushed me and I fell down. <laughs> Bit of a disappointing bout. Um, so uh, was he afraid to admit that he had hurt feelings? He's a bit of a, a, bit of a tough guy, this Norman Mailer. Mm. Was he? So you, offered, you, you were willing to uh, apologize for, for hurting his feelings, but he wouldn't admit that his feelings were hurt. That's uh, ostensibly correct, yes. Uh, he was uh, unwilling to say that, uh, that that is why. I think he would have preferred to jump in your time machine and unstab his wife. Hmm. But <laughs> well, the, the request has been made by more than a few. I'm certain. I may... I may request it uh, shortly after we finish this interview. Please, I, um, I am at your service. If there's anyone li you'd like to unstab, just point the way and we shall go there and unstab that person. I will keep you posted. Uh, may I ask you, uh, the charge of intellectual pollution, did you find that ridiculous because uh, uh, the accusation itself is ridiculous? He was accusing you. Uh, the, the fact that he was accusing you was ridiculous or is it that uh, intellectual pollution is not a thing? <laughs> Well, I would argue it, it certainly is a thing. Ooh, we are uh, surrounded, <laughs> surrounded by it every day in the form of uh, journalism, I'm afraid. Uh, many words are published and many 
words are said over radio and television, various newfangled airwaves like the magic box you are fiddling with right now. Yes, it's but quite magical. It's welcome distraction at times. <laughs> You've been distracted by strapping photos of me in my youth. That's right, it? yes indeed. <laughs> yes indeed, you were quite a handsome young man. Was? Well, well, you're no longer a young man. Arguable. Do you feel young? Are you hitting on me? Do you <laughs> because, honey, better men than you. I, I'm afraid I am, uh, I am taken. I'm a married man. But, uh, but uh, now we, we come to that. You are a, a homosexual. Wow. Although you don't, uh, you don't like the term. You don't, uh, you don't like the term homosexual, heterosexual. Uh, you famously say... Perhaps, perhaps not famously, but you, uh, you said everyone uh, really is pansexual. That's another word I made up, yes. Uh, <laughs> right, I believe that, uh, you know, the one thing I can definitively argue that I'm not is uh, asexual. I have uh, enjoyed the pleasure of company with women and with men, and uh, perhaps my most successful relationship was a long-standing relationship with, which was successful be, because it was not a sexual relationship. The, the relationship was completely asexual. That's right. But it was, it was a loving relationship? Says you. <laughs> I tried, sorry, I tried to make my voice go up at the end, indicating that uh, I was asking a question, but I seem to have failed. Oh. It was a loving relationship in the sense that, uh, you know, there was a certain companionship and a certain trust and devotion, but uh, I had sex with lots of other people. Uh, During this relationship? Correct. Oh, I see. Uh, and was this all right with your partner? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, <laughs> we all have our little secrets, don't we? Uh, this was not something you discussed with your partner? Not that I'm aware, no. And... Uh, the asexuality of your relationship with this person, uh, was, it, was it a mutually agreed upon, or was it coming from one, uh, one quarter and the other one agreeing? Well, uh, certainly one of two is a half. Uh, <laughs> so it encouraged you to check your figures. But it came from both halves, which in, in my books is a whole. Four quarters, I suppose. <laughs> Eight-eighths. Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> now, and so how, how long, uh, how, uh, but you, you, you've, been with, uh, you've been with both men and women Correct. in your day. Mm. Um, and uh, was there a point where you just stopped with the women? You were like, I get it, women. <laughs> well, I don't know that anyone has ever said that about women. But there was certainly a point after which I uh, was done trying, yes. Oh, I see. Yes. 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 <laughs> trying was a bit of fun, though, right? <laughs> now I'm convinced you're hitting on me. <laughs> um, you, uh, you, had, you did have a quite an interesting early life. Uh, your mm. family was, uh, uh, was quite... Um, yes, my great-grandfather invented Oklahoma. <laughs> Statesmen, uh, senators, my family. I'm the fifth cousin of former President Jimmy Carter and the seventh cousin of Albert Gore Jr. Yes, uh, provoked a, a laugh from the audience. Uh, people didn't realize that about uh, Jimmy Carter. Some people don't believe it's true. <laughs> I think you might be onto something there. That's, that's perhaps why that person laughed. They might have thought you were having a bit of fun because everyone, I think more people are familiar with the fact that you are distantly related to uh, former Vice President uh, Gore mm -hmm. than you are to, uh, to Jimmy Carter. I didn't know about the Jimmy Carter thing until earlier today. No one did until people tried to disprove me about Al Gore. Is, is President Carter aware? Uh... I believe he is now, yes. <laughs> oh, as a result of listening to this podcast. In the future, yes. He's a, he's a podcast nut, former President Carter. Yes. Uh, you refer to yourself often. Uh, you're, very, you're very well known for your caustic wit. You refer to yourself often as a, a gentleman bitch. Mm. <laughs> that is perhaps my proudest achievement. <laughs> yes. I'm only sad that I 
was born too early into the United States of amnesia for branding to be so prevalent that I could not have had my own line of T-shirts and the words gentleman bitch written across the <laughs> rear end of gentleman short shorts. Perhaps a television show on one of the music-based cable networks. Seems like it might catch on, gentleman bitch. Absolutely. It seems a shame you didn't hook yourself up with uh, Urban Outfitters. That would have gone down a treat, I think. A gentleman bitch t-shirt at Urban Outfitters. Precisely what I'm describing, yes. Well, you know, you certainly, um, uh, you know, in the 20th century, you certainly had your opportunities. You, you know, why, why didn't you go for it? It's not like you were above... Uh, um, sort of uh, uh, the, the lower ends of, uh, of popular culture. Myra Breckenridge, a uh, novel that you wrote about a transsexual, you, you, gave, you sold the rights, it was made into a film starring the, the film critic Rex Reed uh, in his debut and final performance. Um, how did you feel about that, about seeing your work up there on the screen? Because you, you, you... Rex Reed Academy, thought it was brilliant. Academy Award-winning film, <laughs> Ben-Hur, mm. you've written the screenplay for that. So, so the, it's a long way from Ben-Hur to Myra Breckenridge, or, or perhaps you don't feel that it is. I don't feel that it is, no, I think well, that... Well, clever uh, of me to have <laughs> sussed that out. <laughs> you know, I think the, uh, the Greeks told us there were, what, nine plots? And I yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, which is why I put that forth just now, and, uh, you know, I would argue that there are far fewer than that. I think man versus man and man versus God are veritably the same thing, I think that... Uh, man versus machine, is that one of them? Same thing. Man versus animal? Uh, my answer remains the same. <laughs> Does animal versus man count as a different one, or is it essentially the same thing? Well, I, you know, it, uh, I think you are failing to acknowledge that man is, in fact, an animal. Good point. So then, animal versus God. Probably not a story we're going to see. Because it's covered under man. Although I'd love to see a story about God versus a great white shark. I believe that. That shark has had it up to his eighth row of teeth and he says, no more God. I'm sad to inform you that sci-fi is working on that current. <laughs> I'm looking at you, I'm done. I'm sorry to, oh. <laughs> Certainly sorry to make you sad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, one of your novels, uh, the, uh, uh, oh, still on the, uh, the, the homosexual tip. Well, um, you know, they say write what you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One of your novels, your third novel, uh, The City and the Pillar, published yeah. in 1948. Yes. It, uh, it outraged conservative critics. One of the first major American novels to feature unambiguous homosexuality. Sure. Now, up to that point. Ambiguity. How ambiguous was the homosexuality in novels? In novels, great. In my life, uh, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, there were undertones in various works of American literature and certainly, uh, you know, the world's great writings. But in this one, I decided to put it out there full frontal, front and center. And, uh, you, you eschewed the undertones and the overtones, just straight ahead tones. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have put it that way, but that is one way to, one way to frame it, yes. This tones. book is here. I'm a bit of a queer. <laughs> This ain't a library. You've got to buy the book. You can't just flip through looking for the homosexual parts. I see you found that battle cry from the signs at our parade, yes. That's right. Nothing that... Went, nothing went that through two sharpies on that one. Yeah. <laughs> this book is here. I'm a bit of a queer. This isn't a library. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. Now, you, you, you went a, a bit more subtle with, uh, with Ben-Hur and there were famous uh, scenes that were excised and then mm. uh, restored later on. Um, famous uh, exchange between uh, uh, Laurence Olivier and Tony Curtis. Um, uh, 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 Olivier uh, uh, playing uh, perhaps a, uh, uh, a gay character uh, asking uh, the, the very handsome young Tony Curtis, do you prefer snails or oysters? Mm. 
No, we have, you were having a bit of a laugh when you, when you wrote that, yes? Well, Being I, a bit clever, enjoying yourself. You're familiar with uh, uh, symbolism? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sure. I think that, uh, you know, that is one of those lines that one puts into a manuscript that uh, there is a certain sector or quarter, to coin your phrase, of uh, the audience that will recognize that, uh, you know, this is a, uh, this is code, if you will, for, uh, for uh, you know, perhaps body parts or activities that, uh, you know, and there's certainly there are others, perhaps the better part of... May I stop you right there for a second, Mr. Vidal? Is there anyone who didn't get it? I think everyone got it. See, snails represent... I'll, like, I'll draw you a diagram later. <laughs> Look forward to it. For others, uh, you know, they think it's merely food. <laughs> so there's people. You, you're saying there's some people, perhaps uh, a bit thick. They're watching Ben Hur, and they get to this Spartacus. I do apologise. Well, now, did you write that scene in Spartacus <laughs> that we're talking about? And why didn't you write it for Ben Hur? When one is so prolific, <laughs> it is difficult to distinguish exactly what you've written with your own name on it and uh, what's been ghostwritten under someone else's name. That's right. Yeah. Th perhaps they called you in uh, for yes. Spartacus. They're doing punch-up. Punch-up. And they said, listen, yeah. <laughs> we need some salacious dialogue mm -hmm. that's going to be cut out and then 50 years later jammed back into the film. I rose to my feet immediately and screamed, anyone up for some symbolism? They laughed. <laughs> uh, now, the, uh, the, the chariot racing in uh, Ben-Hur, is that supposed to be dirty at all? It's symbolic, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. The chariots are sperm, obviously. Uh, obviously? Right. I didn't want to be the one to say it. Sure. Clearly they are. Uh, did you get to meet uh, Charlton Heston? Did you do you enjoy his work in the film? Oh, I did. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did meet him, yes, and uh, I did enjoy his work in the film, and I enjoyed his work outside of the film. <laughs> so, I almost feel as if you're, you're intimating something. Am I? <laughs> I think uh, intimations need uh, no imitation. <laughs> They can't all be gold, H. <laughs> um, now, uh, Charlton Heston uh, mm. eventually became uh, very well known for being quite a conservative. Disappointing. Uh, it was disappointing to you, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, a lot of, uh, and it's surprising with uh, with uh, these uh, Hollywood uh, types. You know, you, you tend to think of them as all uh, very liberal, but a lot of them are, are conservative. Uh, mm. uh, did you uh, did it trouble you to see that uh, later in life as uh, as people are becoming more uh, uh, out and uh, outspoken? You, you, you're Kelsey Grammers, you're, you're John Voights. Sure. <laughs> I think, uh, sadly, I think later in life people are faced with their own mortality and they become fearful of the unknown and uh, the unexplored and their lives are, you know, increasingly small and they uh, are circled back into what they know and know well and sadly that comes with fear of homosexuals or heterosexuals or the preferred pansexual and, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think that conservatism is something that's being pushed on us by the whores that are the journalists. Who's the scariest heterosexual? <laughs> it's a long list, isn't it? Uh, uh, I would have to say, uh, Probably uh, George W. Bush, uh, unrelated to his sexuality, just because he is, you know, sadly a man, I believe, who may uh, march to the beat of a, a drummer long since deceased. Uh, but for the, for the sexuality, I think the, the scariest person is probably, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mitt Romney. Hmm. 
How much is it about Mitt Romney that you find so uh, so scary? Well, I think, you know, I, I think he's a man who wants nothing more than to be president for the sake of being president. I don't think that he has the interest of the country at heart, and I think that he is a person who, you know, given time and money, would just have more horses and more sons. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he would have them at the same time? Do you think for every son, let's add a horse? I think the Church of Latter-day Saints has made it clear that they have a one-to-one horse-son ratio. <laughs> it's the ideal, it's not prudent. As, I don't fault them for that. As, for, as foretold by Joseph Smith. Yea, and ye shalt have one horse for one son. <laughs> You don't want horses carrying too many sons. No, that's... that's <laughs> and one son ma- wrangling more than one horse becomes unruly. It, Be kind to the horses, it makes, that's right. Don't load them up with sons. It's like superstition. It makes a great deal of sense once examined. I believe Socrates said that. Uh, I'm willing to believe that as well. I'll Something about unexamined. I, I, the unexamined life is not worth living? Isn't it? I don't... <laughs> I don't know if that was Socrates. Um, you uh, you dabbled in politics a bit. How did you how did you uh, how did you like the political game? Did you enjoy it? Did you have a, did you have a, a, a relish for it? You gave it up later in life, but uh, well, as your magic mirror has likely told you, I failed miserably. I made uh, two political campaigns early on in my life and was voted down. Uh, I think largely in uh, due to my pansexuality, which was probably not a valid uh, campaign slogan. Uh, <laughs> In what retrospect, was what was that slogan again? It was, uh, <laughs> we're here, <laughs> so are you, let's do this. <laughs> the it's pithy? Yeah, the, the clip, clip art and showed men and women, and uh, women and men, and uh, just sex. Oh, of, the both combinations. Sex of every kind. <laughs> Animal versus God. It had a, a lot of it going <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you have uh, you've acted yourself in a few films. I have. I've made some uh, cameos. What? What do you give me? Some of your favorite memories from the, from the film They're Gattaca. Hate. <laughs> Ethan Hawke. I want to say Uma Thurman. Do you? <laughs> uh, you know, I am not an actor and. Uh, as someone uh, you know who was born 80 some years ago in this country, uh, I have no memory of what you're speaking of. You, d- you don't recall acting in the film no. Gattaca? No, one day begins to blur into the next, and when you've written as much as I that you don't remember, and uh, been in as many films, and uh, you know, Ethan Hawke, I believe, has become an author, and someday will be sitting don't where I am. The hottest state. <laughs> How many people have read The Hottest State by Ethan Hawke? Not as many people as I would have thought. <laughs> How about some of your favorite memories from Igby Goes Down? <laughs> One of the Culkins <laughs> co-starring sure. alongside you? Yes, uh, Kieran. I, I want to say Kieran Culkin, uh, yes. I believe you just did say... I want to and did, did say, say Kieran, Kieran Culkin. Culkin yeah. Yes, uh, again, not my uh, shining hour to be a, an actor, but... Uh, somehow I've been blessed in my life to be on enough people's Rolodex that they do indeed call and look for me to come and add my certain uh, pithy gentleman bitchiness to uh, <laughs> sets. And I play authority figures primarily. I feel typecast age-wise. It's often someone directly within the zone of my actual age. Uh, but uh, <laughs> some sort of par for the course, though, uh, acting-wise. I think there was no golf in the movie. No. It, uh, no. <laughs> you know, I once uh, said to Arthur Schlesinger, uh, Arthur, uh, one Schlesinger does not a well make. <laughs> he was horrified. He was horrified. He was horrified. Uh, horrified with confusion? Quite likely, yes. Yes, and I, uh, you know, I'm, I know that I'm known for my one-liners, and uh, that uh, I will warn you is a, uh, you know, a difficult task, and for you, your future authors out there, I would say, uh, you know, uh, broaden out. Uh, 
expound a little bit and try try longer sentences. It's difficult to be, you know, pithy. I, I can remember some of my early attempts. You, you know, I remember uh, when I was, uh, I think, 14 or 15 years old, writing down that, uh, you know, uh, uh, if a stitch in time saves nine, you know, are nine stitches that big a deal? You know, not that effective. It didn't, <laughs> didn't catch on immediately, you know. Uh, I, uh, I remember the first one that did take... Not immediately, but eventually. Oh, any day now, I think. Uh, that will, uh, no, hope springs uh, eternal. That was mine as well, yes. Uh, was there a bit more to that one? No, the end. Uh, hope springs eternal, the end. Yep. Uh, but I tried changing it first to uh, uh, hope springs infernal. That seemed odd. Uh, it's almost a Dorothy Parker sort of... Uh, the play on words, isn't mm, it? Yes. Very Dorothy Parkerian. Oh, it does. <laughs> of or like Dorothy Parker. Yes, I, 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 understand, I understand what you said, yes. Uh, you know, I think you could uh, work out your own pithy one-liners, though. I, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned, uh, uh, but you should check the receipt, or, uh, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Trademark, copyright. Oh, all rights reserved. Might, might want to send that one back to the workshop at this early stage before we get the lawyers involved. Mm. <laughs> Intellectual property. Mine. <laughs> you won't get a fight from me. Um, you appeared on uh, uh, the Ali G show. This mm. was uh, the creation of the, uh, the, the comedian and satirist and actor uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes. Um, and uh, do you feel that you were made a fool of? Do you feel that you were tricked? Well, I feel. Do you feel that you were a worthy target of of, uh, of this uh, satire? Well, of course, uh, as a satirist, I suppose one is, uh, you know, one must eat when one dishes up, and uh, that was an occasion for me to be uh, fed some of my own medicine, I suppose. But uh, you know, uh, famously, I, I felt for him. I think that uh, you know he is a man who came to interview Gore Vidal and was mistaken uh, to think that he was interviewing uh, Vidal Sassoon. And uh, <laughs> that, you know, that was a, a disappointing thing, I think, for him. And uh, on, for my part, a colossal waste of life. Did you ever meet Vidal Sassoon? <laughs> Is that question really on there? No. Nope. <laughs> Straight off the just, dome. Just, just off the head. Mm. Uh, no, I, uh, I don't know that I ever had occasion to meet Vidal Sassoon. I don't know uh, why you would ask me that. I don't, I'm afraid I'm back into the waste of life zone again. Uh, <laughs> you never, you never, I'm very pleased with yourself. You never, you never thought about it. Oh, what if I meet Vidal Sassoon, Gore Vidal meeting Vidal Sassoon, and then maybe there's someone else out there with the first name of Sassoon. Who's <laughs> Going to complete the circle. Uh, more of a triangle, really. Uh... I picture you all running around in a circle, trying to catch each other, yelling out your first names. I must again insist you stop hitting on me. First name Sassoon, that's ridiculous. So as a, as a legendary fighter of all these uh, these other literary lights, were, well, were you sad when any of them died? Well, no. Uh, you, you know, I suppose we offer ourselves some uh, solace in the passing of one, and we say that, you know, uh, they've gone to a better place. That is, of course, a colossal lie, and we, where they've gone is in the ground. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, I famously have, uh, you know, not changed my tune when it's come to some of my adversaries uh, on their passing, and I stand by that. I think that uh, if in life an asshole, in death an asshole. And, um, you know, I, I would guess that there are those who said the same about me. Well, you, you prefer to, uh, to hate the player, not the game. <laughs> is that one of mine? Let's say it is. Um, Mr. Vidal, I wonder if you might answer some questions from uh, the social networking platform known as Twitter. Oh, dear. Yes, this is... Uh, um, people from the internet are going to uh, ask you some questions, and, mm. uh, and you answer them as you see fit. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Here we go. Let's try to get a good is one. Is this something we're going to do today, or...? <laughs> right here! 
Please ask Gore Vidal, who has done more lonely people? Al, I think this is supposed to be done more for lonely people. Al Gore, <laughs> the internet, or Vidal Sassoon, great hair. <laughs> and you notice Gore and Vidal are capitalized. It's a little play on your name. For I'm, fun. I'm f- <laughs> so that, hold on a second. Al Gore, Gore Vidal, Vidal Sassoon. If there's a Sassoon Al, there's your quarter right there. There's all four of you running around, trying to catch each other, yelling out your first names. And now I am hitting on you. So I sensed, yes. Uh... Al Gore, the internet, uh, obviously a tremendous faux pas on his part. Uh, a ridiculous... <laughs> Wait, what, what, one moment. Ridiculous uh, claim. You're saying, you're saying the... Oh, it's a faux pas to claim that he invented the internet. Now, did he really say... I don't know if there was ever a moment where Al Gore said the words, I invented the internet. Well, you know, when they, uh, they've printed the legend in that case, haven't they? I mean, they, they assigned that to him, just as they robbed John Kerry of his heroism in 2004. I think that... Uh, you know, he, he may as well have said it at this point. Whereas my great-grandfather invented Oklahoma. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite a claim. What, what goes into the invention of a state? Did More, he decide the shape? He did. Giant fan of panhandles. Uh, Perhaps the biggest fan of panhandles that ever was? Aside from Texas, yes. Saying the state of Texas is a fan of panhandles. No, the gentleman who created Texas, uh, wh- whose great grandfather he is, I haven't any idea. Vidal Sassoon's? Perhaps. <laughs> this seems like an ineffective mode of question asking. Well, it's. Certain authors, we have uh, loads and loads of is questions, right? but uh, this one seems to be <laughs> having trouble. Uh, Not much time, ready. I suppose. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. What is your thought regarding. Uh, recent voter suppression measures enacted in Ohio, mm. Florida, and Pennsylvania. Well, this of is course, very much in the news these days. I wish this were news, this news. I, we've been suffering this sort of thing uh, for decades now, hasn't it? It's been uh, 2000 in, uh, in Florida when a man was uh, first not elected president but became president, and uh, in Ohio again in 2004 with the, uh, the Diebold and the you know, Ken Blackwell. The Those voting machines. Yes, yeah, voting uh, machines. Alleged the voting machines. The hanging chads. Well, that was Florida, wasn't it? You should re- read a little bit before you begin these interviews, I suppose. <laughs> but yes, the... So uh, I was trying to hit the signposts of you know, the voter fraud of the early and mid-2000s. <laughs> Diebold voting machines, uh, hanging chads. Right. No, you, everybody... Brooks Brothers riot. Everybody believes you know what's ta- what you're talking about. It's, you're fine. Please, let me continue. Uh, feeling a bit Norman Mallory right now. <laughs> sort of get it. It would, be, it would be a shame for you to strike me. I feel. Well, certainly not uh, in the absence of Dick Cavett. I, I, do wish, I do wish that he were here. Were he here, I certainly would... I certainly would load up and just pop you on right in the... Right in the kiss, as it were. And I promise I would fall down. <laughs> so it is, uh, it is, it's coming back with a vengeance, this, uh, this voter suppression. And, uh... Oh, it is, yes. No, I, I think, it, you know, the, the goal of the proletariat is to keep the underclasses disenfranchised, and that's easily done. And, you know, they, they, by requiring identification for voting, they have uh, kept many, many people who's, you know, status in the country maybe maybe in question from uh, going to get their identification card or their their license and you know sadly i think it's a it's a it's a mind-boggling set of circumstances we're faced with when people who are not in the one percent would vote for any of these people it's 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 truly mind-boggling they do not have their best interests at heart and despite commercials and television they will never ever 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 be rich uh, what if you what have you been able to communicate all this to them via appearing on some sort of reality program? <laughs> some sort of, if you could have been uh, on uh, a celebrity rehab or uh, 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 
uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> or um, uh, celebrity boxing. Now we've uh, we've already <laughs> been over that one. Um, uh, I would have only fallen down, I'm afraid, on that. Um, would you? Would you ever have done a reality show? Uh, did no one ever approach you? It would have been interesting to follow you around, see what your life is like. Well, uh, certainly Bravo would have aired it. <laughs> certainly, you don't seem to acknowledge that I am am and have been a part of the best of all possible reality shows, which is reality. I've been you know, born into this country and living and uh, trying to, through the written word and the spoken word, say all of this, and just because it didn't happen in a multi-camera format followed around by you know, large-chested, small-clothed women uh, you know, slapping each other and pulling, pulling their hair. Well, that may be of interest to some of uh, the pansexuals. Ooh, another question! <laughs> so. Who would you have act in a remake of Ben-Hur? <laughs> Whom would you have? Uh, what do you say? If Who would you like to see today in a new Ben-Hur? If ben -Hur? it were current, uh, this, these days? Yes. Uh, <laughs> You seem exhausted. That's what a remake is. No, who, who would you like to see a remake done, uh, let's say, 25 years ago? Well, Jack Klugman. Uh, as, as Ben Hur? Correct. A little on the nose, I realize, but. Uh, even, even 25 years ago, I, I feel that Mr. Klugman might have been a bit long in the tooth to play Ben-Hur. I think he would have brought to the role a certain experience. Uh, I will grant you that. Yes. Uh, were, were he to do it today, I think, uh, obviously, uh, you know, I think, um, <clears throat> though he's recently eschewed studio movie, Shia LaBeouf is an obvious choice. Uh, How about Spartacus? Who'd you like to see in that one? Well, Shia LaBeouf, again. Certainly. Uh, certainly. Um, Jack Klugman, were he alive and available? Uh... I think, um, you know... Uh, I'm sorry, one moment. I just realized, I'm not sure if I know if Jack Klugman is dead or alive. We don't hang. Uh, so I don't... I'm afraid I don't know either. No, no, I'm certainly not making you responsible, from my knowledge. Does, does anyone in the audience know? Is Mr. Klugman still with us? He's alive? Oh, I don't sound so bored about it. <laughs> Tony Randall, though, he has, he has passed on. Not the same guy. Those two are very different guys. Tony Randall. Very different ones. Very different. One's rather on the messy side. They <laughs> together they form. Together I find them to be an unusual pair. They're, they're, they are an atypical duo. It's they true. Are <laughs> Go Vidal. Go Vidal, ladies and gentlemen. My thanks to Gore Vidal for his time, and special thanks to Mr. Mark Evan Jackson for no particular reason. Join us again next time when our guest will be Agatha Christie. This podcast is produced by Messrs. Ben Zelovansky and Paul F. Tompkins, with special material written by Mr. Zelovansky. The producers wish to thank Cody Fisher, Jim Yatto, Alex Berg, Susan Hale, and everyone at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre Los Angeles, and Lauren Rock and Joel Archios at 826LA. Our theme was composed and performed by Mr. Eben Schletter, Esquire. This program is recorded live and monthly at the UCB Theatre Los Angeles. If you'd like to attend a future recording, tickets may be acquired at ucbtheatre.com. The theatre donates all proceeds to A26LA. For updates on future performances, please like the Dead Authors page on Facebook. For additional updates or to ask questions of our guests from the safety of your very own thumbs, follow us on Twitter at DeadAuthorPod. The original Dead Authors reading series was created by Mr. John Korn. Until next time, this is H.G. Wells saying, the show is over.